whether you're feeling great or whether you're feeling down because as we come before the throne of God there should be something there should be something for everyone and so if you've come this morning and well you were just I mean you woke up and it was like your hair was on fire I mean you were just feeling it and then you were could not wait to come and worship I pray that our time that we've already been together has been uplifting for you and if if you're one of those you just had to drag yourself out of bed this morning you're a Tennessee fan it was just rough I mean you were you were struggling, but you knew the Georgia fans were going to be here. So you started, you would come and participate and be here. And I hope that you've gotten something as well. And you've been able to be lifted up this morning. Hey, you know what happened yesterday? Forget about all the football stuff. Those things come and go. Something cool happened yesterday. Warm coats for cool kids. Uh, this was something that uh, we have been putting together now for some time. Many of you were donating coats, uh, not only coats that were in your closets in the past, but you went and purchased uh, new coats, and these were put on racks, and these were put out in our Family Life Center, and yesterday we opened up the doors, as you see. And uh, these pictures are just going to be scrolling through. I want you to see some of the, the faces that came in. Uh, we targeted on Saturday members of the Hispanic community in Chattanooga. That was our focus yesterday. And so we had English speakers, we had Spanish speakers, we had English and Spanish speakers together, and we were giving out donuts, and there were biscuits, and there were coats, and there were, there were smiles, and it was a great thing to see and to be a part of. I want to say thank you to Kara Brown, I want to say thank you to Amy DePriest, Gilly Wiseman, uh, to all of our uh, Hispanic members that came to help translate and to help uh, make sure that the sizes were correct. And, and you can see as we're going through these photos that the kids, man, they were pumped. And nothing better than to watch them as they get their coats, then put them on on a day where um, it was going to be, what, 80 degrees, right? Hard to believe it was 80 degrees at the end of October. But these kids were so excited to have these new jackets that they wore them out. All right, they put them on and wore them out and they wore them home and it was a blessing to be able to, uh, to do this and to be able to, uh, to share in this way. And so uh, if you uh, supplied a coat, if you supplied uh, money, if you came and volunteered, if you were in prayer about what was going on, we thank you so much uh, for being involved in this way. We need you to know there's a next level though. Uh, we still have coats that are left over. We had some 500 coats that were put together and assembled. Um, and we knew that we would probably have too many coats yesterday for the amount of people that would come. And so we decided that, all right, whatever coats were left over, we would then target local elementary schools. And so that's the next round that we're going through, that we're going to um, go to our local elementary schools and allow the counselors to know about the coats that we have and the sizes that we have, allow them to uh, give us the information about those who need those jackets. And we'll then pass those along to the schools so that uh, we, we want all the coats gone. Because if the coats are gone, that means they're on the kids. And that's the important thing. And so thank you again. Thank you again for doing this. 
Um, I don't know how many, how many more pictures we got up there, guys. Any more from that? Or is the next picture all about wants? What's the next one up there? Yeah. Next week, we have our We Are the Sermon weekend. And if you are new to East Brainerd, I thought it might be a good time just to um, kind of catch you up a little bit about this. Uh, we Are the Sermon is something that started a few years back where members of our uh, young adult family here came to our leadership and said, hey, we think it'd be a great idea if as a church body, as a group, we went out into the community and served on, on one day where, where we uh, came together and worked together as family and friends and even maybe as strangers, but that we were out in the community and we were serving and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And the leadership thought this was a great idea. It's called Watts. We are the sermon. And so next week, here's what's going to happen. As Sean mentioned, we'll come and we'll have a time of worship together. We'll sing with one another. We'll praise God together. We'll share in communion. Uh, but you don't have to listen to me next week. All right, yeah, I was waiting. Okay, I was just going to give you the chance. You don't have to listen to me next week because you're going to go and be the sermon. You're going to go and be the sermon and you are going to be able to go and participate in various different projects here around our town. Now, over the last couple of years, the way that we have focused these projects, we've been running everything through our Bible classes. And so our adult Bible classes have been coming up with projects that their participants are going to be involved in. Now, if you're sitting out there going, you know what, I'm really not involved in one of the adult Bible classes here. Don't worry, you still can be involved in our Watch Sunday. Next week, when you come in and you receive your glory, praise, and honor, look on the inside, and there is going to be listed all the different projects that our different classes are going to be involved in. Give a little bit of an explanation. I also have some contact numbers on there. And so even though you might not be a part of a Bible class right now, and that's something that you haven't been able to, uh, to do yet, uh, you can still participate in our Watts Day. And you just look on the glory, praise, and honor, and you just choose which service project you'd like to be involved in. And then you just go and show up, or you call the contact number and say, hey, uh, I'm coming. Can I bring a um, shovel? Can I bring some donuts? What, what, what is it that I need to do? So next week, come and make sure you come dressed appropriately. Here's what I mean by that. When we get finished in here, we're just going to leave and go to our work sites and the different things that are going to be going on. Uh, so go ahead and, uh, you know, put on your blue jeans and put on your, your work clothes and bring your gloves and bring your boots. And uh, I know uh, year after year, we've got people pulling up with trailers that have all kinds of equipment on the back. So you guys just come prepared because after we have our time of communion and worship together, uh, we'll be leaving and going and doing that. So I hope you'll be looking forward to that. It's a great opportunity for you to bring somebody with you and say, hey, I want you to come to church. It'll be the different, strangest church experience you've ever had before. Because we're hardly going to do church, but we're going to go be church. And you bring them and then go and participate in one of the projects that we have. If you'd like to find out more before next week, go to a Bible class today. Go to one of our Bible classes and sit in and listen to the project that is going to be uh, the focus of that particular class. Hey, that's not the only thing that we do around here. We've got all kinds of service opportunities going on, and a big one that's coming up is our snack packs. And this is something that has been expanding over the last couple of years, and we've tried to keep you updated on this and tell you the wonderful way that God is working within this ministry and the way that he's touching people's hearts, not just within our congregation, but outside these walls where individuals have heard about what it is that we are doing and the food that we're distributing to local school children. And they say, we want to come and be a part of this. So here's the deal. Here's what you need to know. Tomorrow, we're going to have a boatload of food being dropped off. Not by boats, but by trucks. 
all right? But we're going to have a boatload of food being dropped off by trucks. That's how much food it is, all right? A boatload of food dropped off by trucks, and we need some people here, if you're available, to come and help unload those trucks. That's going to start at 9 o'clock, is that right? 9 o'clock, and if you can come and help, and if you have any kind of... Um, food mover, if you've got uh, some hand trucks, different things like that, if you could, dollies, you could bring those along, that would be fantastic. Um, if you just uh, see somebody that looks strong standing on the side of the road, stop, pick them up, bring them on, say, hey, come on, we need to, um, we need to move some food. And we're going to be bringing the food, storing in our Family Life Center, that's going to be tomorrow. And then a week from this Wednesday, not this coming Wednesday, but a week from this Wednesday, we're going to be packing, again, some 4,000 bags that are going to be distributed then uh, to the school children. And we're going to have over 100 members of the community that are not involved in any way here at East Brainerd that are going to come and help us pack this. Because like I said, word is spreading and people want to be involved. And this is an o- another opportunity. Maybe you weren't able to be involved in Warm Coats. You're not going to be in town next weekend for Watts. Hey, we got snack packs coming up. And you say, why are we doing all of this? Why are we involved in these things? It's because we believe that the kingdom of God should impact the world in which the kingdom is. It should impact. There should be a, an imprint left. People should know that the people of God have been present in the community by the way that the people of God not just live, but by the way they interact with their society, the way they interact with their culture. And so this, these things are easy ways in which we can go and touch members of our community. And we do this because we, we understand it's a good thing. We do this because we understand that we need to be individuals who go about doing those things that are good. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, Scripture says, to do good works. And so that's why we're involved in this. And we do this because we love the people that are around us. We love the people that are around us, the children, the parents, the teachers. We, we love those who are struggling. We love those who are succeeding in our community. We love the people who are around us. And because we love those people, we want to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody that we come in contact with. And we understand that being able to share that message is more than just sitting down and throwing out a few Bible verses, but it means living as Christ in their presence. And so that's what we are trying to be involved in. And so these are opportunities for you to participate, and I hope that you will take advantage of this if you have not already been able to do so. Maybe, um, maybe this lesson comes at the, just the right time because of the things that we're talking about today. Uh, we've been going through a study in Second Peter, and I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles there if you would. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is near the end of your Bible. There are actually two different letters that Peter wrote to the churches uh, centuries ago, and they're labeled in your Bible as 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We're going to be looking, uh, starting out with some things that he wrote uh, secondarily, and then we're going to go back to some things that he wrote initially in his letter that we know as 1 Peter. And we're looking at these things because we believe that, as Scripture teaches, that there's this grand event that's taking place. There's a change that's going on in our lives. Peter says, listen, you've been given everything you need for life and for godliness. You've been given everything you need to live a godly life. He says, because of this, then I want you to, to add to your faith. And he lists this different, these different virtues. And we've been going through the different virtues that he says, add these things to your faith because you've got everything you need to live godly. You've got everything that you need to be the person that God has called you to be. He says, so start adding to your faith. And he says, I want you to 
have goodness and I want you uh, to add self-control. And, and last week we looked at this idea of perseverance. And today we're moving on and we're going to look at this idea of godliness and, and what exactly it is that that means. And so go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you this morning as if you are, you're already a disciple. I'm going to make the assumption that the majority of the people here are already a disciple of Christ. You are a follower of Jesus. You have hopefully gone from living for yourself to living for God. You consider yourself perhaps to be Christian. You look at your life and you look back to a point. You say, I remember this was a time where, where I, I used to live for myself and then and then there was a change that was made, and maybe you can point to a time when you were immersed, you were baptized, and you remember that moment, and you remember that time where you gave yourself over to God. You remember the, the healing and the cleansing that came from that. And you look at that, and, and that is something that drives you even to this day. And so I'm going to talk to you as if, I'm just going to assume that, listen, you're disciples. Now, if you're not already a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't want you to tune out, but I want you to hear this in the context of, all right, here's an expectation. So if you're considering following after Jesus, listen to this lesson and understand this is an expectation that God has for those who would say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. Peter says, I want you to add to your faith godliness. See, conversion, that's where when I was dead, I was once dead in sin, but now I'm alive to Christ. And it's an outstanding miracle that God performs in our life. But I really believe that the miracle of godliness is even greater. Because in that, God doesn't only make me alive in Christ, but he makes me to live as Christ. Conversion makes spiritual people or spiritually dead people alive. And God pulls that off in a blink. It's like you don't even realize it. But sanctification makes godless people godly. And God usually spends your entire lifetime doing that. That's why last week we looked at the idea of perseverance, and I think that Peter puts it in his list where he does for a reason, because it's going to be a process that you're going to go through, and it's going to take a while as God is maturing you, and God is making you more complete, and you're going to need perseverance, that ability to stand strong under pressure, the ability not to run, the ability when the going gets tough to say, you know what, here is who I am, and here is whose I am, and this is how I'm going to live my life. James says that we need to let perseverance finish its work so that we can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. See, the perseverance that we talked about last week has an end goal. And the end goal is that there will be a maturity that develops in the life of the person who is a disciple. That there is a completeness and that there is, that there is something for us to be able to work forward to. And it's a place where there is nothing missing in our spiritual health. Because the the grand event is this idea that God wants you and he wants for me to be godly. He wants there to be godliness in our life. And so it's easy to say that, okay, godliness just means that, that we are Christ-like. But I want to drill down a little bit further in that and, and think about this. The word that Peter uses when he says, add to your faith godliness, is the same word that he uses up a little earlier in your text when he says that, Everything that you need for life and for godliness or for living a godly life has been given to you through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the word is translated as holiness. It, it means good devotion or genuine devoutness. It describes the inner quality of a heart that is completely set on God and his kingdom and his purpose. So here's our definition that we're going to think about. When you hear this idea of adding godliness to your life, 
Godliness is God-centeredness, all right? It's God-centeredness. That is the center. It is what everything else stems from. It is your core. It is what you are to be about. And to kind of help us wrap our eyes and our, our heart and our minds around this, we're going to look at a couple of different things that Peter says, uh, and uh, hopefully it's going to be something that will allow us to go, all right, now I'm starting to get a picture of what it truly means to be godly. The first is back in his, the first letter that he wrote in First Peter, this time it's in chapter 3. These scriptures aren't going to be up on the screen. You're going to need to go to your Bible. You're going to get out your app. I'd love for you to be able to find these. Uh, sometimes we put the verses on the screen, and sometimes that causes us then to get a little lazy when it comes to our own Bible reading and our own scripture finding. And so I encourage you to open up your Bible as we go through these passages. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of that slander. Godliness, as Peter puts it here, begins with a resolve of the heart. He says, I want you in your heart to set apart Christ as Lord. Because before any godliness shows up in your speech or in your action or in your thinking, it takes hold in what you do with Jesus. Is Jesus around the table or is he still standing outside the door knocking or looking in the windows and trying to squeeze his way into some portion of your life? Is Jesus telling you how it is or are you telling Jesus how it's going to be? He says, in your heart, you set apart Christ, you set apart Jesus as Lord and everything else follows from that. So what does that mean? Simply, who Jesus is and what Jesus desires always takes precedence in your life. When you're thinking about this idea, okay, am I a godly person or not? Am I going to add godliness to my life? Who Jesus is, what Jesus desires always takes precedent. That means it takes precedent over your politics. It takes precedent over your prejudices. It takes precedent over your emotions and over your upbringing and over all of your opinions. And everything must step aside if it stands in the way of Jesus and his kingdom. Add to your faith godliness. He says, in your hearts, you've got to set apart Christ as Lord. And then right on the heels of that heart resolve, that godliness requires a change of behavior. He says, you need to always be prepared to give a reason to anyone who asks you. Now, some things here are implicit and some are explicit. The implicit thing is that godly people live in such a way that they arouse curiosity. They provoke questions. People start to wonder about them. They just think that you're different. They think that you're peculiar. They can't, they can't understand sometimes the way that you make your decisions and the way in which you order your life and the way in you take your, your family. And basically, it's all summed up in this. Why, why does it seem like godly people are just different? I think the word is this. It's hope. Godly people live in hope and offer hope. They bring hope into situations of fear and worry and despair and darkness and disappointment. When others are complaining or panicking or they are just protesting, the godliness inside of us embraces hope. And Peter is clear. You read through his letter and, and you find you find where he puts the focus of our hope on who God is. First Peter 1 and verse 21 says, your faith and hope are in God. The hope of the godly is rooted in God and in him alone. 
You know, so far this uh, political season, haven't said a lot about politics, and I'm not going to say too much, but I will say this. For the godly, their hope is in heaven, not in Washington. For the godly, their hope is in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, those three. Not in the President or the Supreme Court or in Congress, those three. For the godly, their hope is found in one place and one place alone. And that hope allows the confusions and it allows the disappointments, it allows the worry, it allows all the hand-wringing to go aside. Are there certain directions perhaps that you would like to see our country go in? I'm sure that there is. Are there certain directions that God would like to see every country go in? Yes. You understand that the U.S. of A. does not hold special nation status with the Lord. He loves the whole earth, and because of that, he gave his one and only begotten son. And he desires for every single nation of the earth to bow before the son and say that he is truly the savior of the world. But the godly understand that God's will is not always followed and is not desired by everyone. And so while some will be wringing hands and some will be upset and some are going to be concerned thinking that if their person is not elected and if their party is not in power, that the very future of the way in which we live and the way in which we are able to go about our lives, it's going to change and everything is just going to fall apart and everything is just going to become undone. Those who are godly rest in a hope that says the mountains can fall to the sea and the earth can begin to crumble and the waves can can surge, but the one who puts their hope in Jesus Christ will forever remain firm. And so it doesn't matter who gets elected. For the Christian, there is always hope. And that hope is in God. And people look and say, how can you live the way that you live? And how can you act the way that you act? And it's because of the hope that I have. That's the implicit message that Peter puts out, that godly people live lives so filled with hope that they arouse wonder and provoke inquiry. Now, what he makes explicit is this, the godly are always prepared to tell anyone who asks them about the reason for the hope that they have. Godly people live in a readiness to seize opportunities that their peculiar living creates. And when someone asks, what is it about you anyhow? How can you be peaceful during such a, an unpeaceful time in the life of our nation? How is it that you are able to do what it is that you do? You don't just say, well, I just, I eat regularly and I try to um, get a good night's rest and I go to the gym and, you know, and, and I do some yoga and I'm getting really good at it and I drink some green stuff that tastes like skunk water. I mean, that's what I do. Now you're ready to talk about your hopefulness. You talk about your hopefulness. And when you do, you seize on the opportunity with grace. You show gentleness and respect to other people. Godly people are not mouth-frothing, placard-waving, curse-spewing crusaders. They don't conceal or compromise who they are or what they believe. They do that with a boldness and a clear conscience, but they are not arrogant and they're not bullying about it. So watch what you put on Facebook. Watch what you put out on Twitter. Consider the conversations that you are having at work and on the ball fields. We're not to be arrogant 
We don't shout at people or mock their beliefs or their behavior. We don't call down fire from heaven on every village that spurns us or every person that perhaps thinks different than we do or votes differently than we do. We're not like Jonah relishing the thought of doom for everybody that goes in a different direction than where we go. Instead, we are to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us from doing wrong, that they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So that's one passage that I think gives us an idea of godliness. One more, and I I said it was going to be two passages from Peter. It's actually one from Peter and, and one from Paul. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And I wanted to look at this because it comes right after the passage where Paul writes to Timothy and he talks about elders and deacons and their qualifications and their attributes. And since we're in the season right now where we are uh, considering others who are going to be serving alongside our elders in this role of spiritual leadership and, and shepherding our congregation, I thought it might be appropriate to look here and see what it is that that Paul has to say about this idea of godliness. Because while it's not optional for Christians, it's certainly to be a priority for church leaders because it's foundational. Before we can look at anything else for anyone who might consider themselves to be a leader of God's people, we're to look for godliness. And if that is absent, it doesn't matter how otherwise gifted or eloquent or wise or capable that that person is. Godliness is the one ingredient that empowers and redeems all the others, and those who lead the church especially need to exhibit it, where they are God-centered and everything else revolves around it. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, Paul says, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. I said, well, what in the world does that have to do with, with me and, and in my God, godly situation that I try to find myself in? Paul says, listen, if you want the, the supreme example of godliness, then you look at Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it means to be God-centered, then you look at Him. And he implies that the six attributes that he points to for Jesus are worthy of our imitation. He says, Jesus appeared in the body, and that's because the godly make God personal. They bring God closer and they render God's presence tangible because you could reach out and touch a piece of our Father. When you stand among others, they sense that God is near. It says that Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. The godly entrust justice to God. They do not exhaust themselves trying to manage what others think about them or what others would like for them to do. When they feel misused or underappreciated or misunderstood or wrongfully accused, the temptation is oftentimes for us all to jump and to say something and to put ourselves out there and to take up and to defend ourselves. Yet Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit and the godly are to look to God as well. Paul says Jesus was seen by angels. And the godly, I believe, live with an awareness that the real drama takes place elsewhere in a different realm and beyond this visible world. The main, os- the main audience is cosmic, not earthly. It's angel and demonic. It's not human. And that's why Paul would say they doesn't wrestle with flesh and blood, but instead that the, the battles that are going on is in a spiritual level. Jesus was preached among the nations, he would say, and the godly have a global influence. Our work and our identity cast a net that's farther than just our geography. And you need to realize that There are things that are happening, not just here in Chattanooga, but across this hemisphere 
that have a result because of this congregation. There are things that are going on in Jamaica and in Cuba. There are things happening in Mexico and in Peru. And it's because of this congregation and the way in which the message of the Lord has been sent out from here. Jesus was believed on in the world, he says, because the godly have an impact beyond the church. Quite simply, they change the world that they live in. They don't, they don't get all into culture where culture changes them, but they subvert the culture in which they live, changing the way other people see religion, changing the way that other people see Christ. And then finally, he says that he was taken up into glory, and hopefully as godly individuals, we know that our life has ultimate purpose and reward that we live not in the here and now, but we live with our eyes fixed on something that is farther away and something that is going to be an eternal treasure. That's godliness. But let's wrap up with this. There's a hurdle. He says, I want you to add to your faith godliness. I want you to be God-centered. And we stand up and we say, praise God, that's what I want. But the opposite of godliness is worldliness. And worldliness, in one word, is selfishness. You see, if godliness is God-centered, then worldliness is self-centered. With its cravings and its lustings and its boastings, and it's all about me and what I can get and, and what I can obtain. I think this definition works good. One author says, worldliness is whatever makes sin look more attractive than God. It's whatever you think makes defying and ignoring God a better reward than obeying Him. That is worldliness. And so you say, all right, well, how do I, what do I do then? How do I, how do I have less of, less of self and, and more of God? Well, go back to some of the things that we've already looked at. And just remember this, you look, look, and you look again at the person of Jesus Christ. He says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give rest to your soul. And the whole idea is that we abide in Christ and that his mind becomes ours and that his thoughts are our thoughts. He said, well, how does that then take place? Well, have you ever had those moments where you have one to defend yourself? Where you've been worried about the way that people think about you? Maybe it's because of something that you're planning on wearing to church one day and you thought, well, I wonder what people think about this. Or, or maybe it's because of something that you were going to do out in public at a restaurant and you were getting ready perhaps to, uh, to have a time of prayer with your family or, or you wanted to take the opportunity to ask the waitress if, if there's something going on in her life that you could be praying about. And, but you didn't know how other people would see you. Godliness says that you look to Jesus and you look into the text and you remember a time when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, by what authority did you do the things that you do? And it would be a great opportunity for Jesus to stand up and say, let me tell you, this is why I do what I do. This is why I make the choices that I make. And instead, Jesus' response is, why did John the Baptist do what he did? Who do you think John is? He doesn't try to defend himself. He just asks a simple question that those who were listening to him could not answer without condemning themselves. And so you watch Jesus closely and you begin to conclude, you know what? He didn't really care about how others saw him. He didn't care. He wouldn't testify on his own behalf. He was content to let God vindicate him. And so that reminds us then that there are times where we just need to keep our mouth shut. There are times where we don't have to toot our own horn lest it not be tooted. Instead, we say, you know what? No, I'm going to watch Jesus and I'm going to follow in his steps and I'm going to be godly. I could go on, but I think you begin to understand the point. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. So go and look and look and look and look at Jesus and then go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And, and that brings us to the second point, practice, practice, practice. 
Practice, practice, practice the daily discipline of dying to yourself. It's in the faithfulness and the small things that we are truly in need. It's that barb of sarcasm or it's that morsel of gossip or the retort of self-vindication that you don't speak. It's in that flare-up of anger that instead of taking it out on your wife or your children, you take it to the Lord in prayer. It's the burning lust or the haunting loneliness that you refuse to treat in an habitual way. It's the quiet prompting to give to another. You give to the other something that they need instead of what you need. You practice, practice, practice. See, that's what I did when I was a kid. I practiced and practiced. Sean, you're going to like this. I wanted to be Batman. I did. I don't think I wanted to be Batman as much as Sean thinks he's Batman. But when I was a kid, I got one of those paper grocery sacks. Remember when you used to get paper grocery sacks? I got a paper grocery sack, not one of the big ones, but one of the smaller ones. And, and I sat down and I cut out whole eye holes and, and I took out a blue crayon and, and I began to um, color and I made myself a mask. And, and I put that on and I taped little pointy ears to the top of it. And I got one of my, my little blankies. And I tied it around my neck and I, I had my mother pin it with a safety pin. And I would go running around the house, and yes, I am older, and so I do remember the reruns. Da 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 Batman. And I'd be running around the house, and and we had leading into our living room area, we had a series of steps, much just like these that are in front of me. And I would get on one end of the house, and and I would start, and I'd begin singing that song, and I would run as hard as I could, and I would get to these steps, and I would dive off. And I would hit, and I would flip over, and I would come up, and I, I was Batman. And I was awesome. And I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced. Because when I grew up, I wanted to be Batman. I don't know what you wanted to be when you grew up. I don't know what you want to be right now as you still think about growing up. But here's what I learned from reading Scripture. We are all in a continual process of growth. And the grand event is that God is maturing us into the image of Jesus Christ. And the idea is that even though we are growing older, even though that we are growing older in the flesh, we can actually stop. We can stop growing older in the spirit. Because we can just say, God, I don't want to grow. I don't want to mature. I don't want to be changed anymore. And so I want to end with this question. What do you want to be when you grow up? If you want to be like Jesus, then add to your faith godliness. Maybe you'll never be Batman. Perhaps you'll never be the fireman or the police officer, the doctor, the nurse, whatever it was that you thought you wanted to be when you were young. Maybe you never build that great robot. You never program that computer. You never make the millions that you desire to make. But here's the promise of God. If you add to your faith godliness, you will one day be as Jesus. I don't know about you. But when I grow up, I think that's what I want to be. 
I want to grow up in the Lord. Maybe you do as well. So we're going to sing a song to encourage one another. And if you're someone who your spiritual growth has been stunted, and if you are not living a life that honors God, we'd love for you to come and say, you know what, I just need the prayers of this body. Maybe you'd like to come this morning because you do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you want to give yourself over to Him and you're willing to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. We'll celebrate with you. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to continue our growth process. And when it's all said and done, may we all look like Jesus. Let's stand and sing together. Mm -hmm.